0: Media. Totally Football Show summer special. Today, Sevilla are through to the Europa League final. Man United knocked out by a combination of De Jong strike and De Jong defending and another star turn from Sevilla's keeper who makes 14 saves then downloads entire unwanted album into your iPhone overnight. Am I doing this right? Who will join Sevilla in the final? We look ahead to Tuesday's game, Inter Milan against Shakhtar Donetsk. And we hear about the start of the new French season this Friday. Maybe. It's all in the Totally Football Show Summer Special in association with Paddy Power. Listener, welcome to a new pod for a new week. It's Monday, August the 17th, and we're joined today by James Horncastle. Welcome back, James. Good to be here, James. Fantastic to hear that and also lovely to see, after too long, Tom Williams. Hello James, lovely to see you too. Great to have you both here after a game that bears a certain amount of analysis. I'm referring to Sunday night's Europa League semi-final in Cologne, Sevilla beating Man United 2-1
1: to go through to the final. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see that unrivaled coverage of each and every Premier League club by heading to theathletic.com slash
0: It started well for United, didn't it, Tom?
2: Yes, started very well. Uh, Ninth-minute penalty from their first incursion into the severe penalty area. Lovely little one-two between Rashford and Martial, who've who've really developed uh, their understanding this season. Bruno Fernandes tucks it away for his 27th goal of the season. Uh, and you thought United were set up perfectly then because they could, they could allow Sevilla to come onto them, they could hit them on the counter-attack. Um, but yeah, by midway through the, the first half, Sevilla uh, a level. Um, and then United's failure to take their chances early in the second half mm. ends up costing
3: them um, in the end.
0: Let's talk about Sevilla's equaliser because it was pretty special stuff, James.
3: It was, and I think it was indicative of where Sevilla caused United problems all evening, really, which was down in the wide areas. I mean, both of their full-backs ended up with assists. I think Juan Bissaka um, will look back on both goals and think he could have uh, done better. I'm sure that will be part of their kind of post-match analysis that they do because um, particularly in the first half um, once Sevilla started to grow into the game that sort of those triangles that they were pulling off with Benega Reggaeon and Ocampos uh, were just pulling Wambisaka here there and everywhere Um, but yeah it's worked from what left to right um, ends up with uh, Souza at the far post Brandon Williams uh, completely sucked in and suzo perhaps, uh, you know, scoring a goal. Obviously, it, it was it was an equaliser. It was crucial. It wasn't the winner, but a goal that might see a uh, a former Milan player play against Inter in the uh, in the final. But I think there was a lot to like in this Severe performance. I think we need to give them more praise on the back of what they did in the quarterfinal Because even though they changed uh, nine players from last season, they just seem to have the DNA of the club. You know, I think that they managed the game very well and. I'm sure we'll get on to Oligon and Solskjaer's substitutions, but the ones that Lopetegui made in the second half did change the game, not only because Loup Dion came on and, and scored the winner, um, but I think everyone contributed. I think that the, the the way he changed that front three, um, and just brought a little freshness, different look to it, was something that was uh, conspicuous by its absence in um in either the late changes that Solskjaer made and and, and kind of what Solskjaer could actually do from the bench
0: yeah yesterday Pep Guardiola getting Pelters for changing his team today Oli Gunnar Solskjaer getting Pelters for not changing his team let's talk though Tom about what you were referencing that extraordinary period of dominance at the start of the second half again the 45 minutes began really well for Man United it was just shot after shot after shot
2: yeah, and, and Twitter was briefly awash uh, with awkwardly conceived U2 puns as Severe <laughs> goalkeeper Bono repelled everything that came at him. But it, it was incredible. The first sort of 10 minutes of the second half, United were streaming forwards and it was either saves from Bono, last-ditch blocks, uh, and you thought, well, a goal is obviously coming here. Then Lucas Acampos goes off, uh, you know, Sevilla's... Main man this season, a match winner against um, against Wolves in the previous round. Things seem to be turning in United's favour, but they they just didn't make that make that period of of dominance count. And um, you know, across both the matches that they've played in Cologne, um, they've only scored uh, two goals, both Bruno Fernandez penalties. Um, mm. And you know, we we were all thrilled by the quality of football that they played post-lockdown, we all saw the impact that Bruno Fernandes had. But I think what we've seen from them um, in in the final stage of the Europa League is that, yes, they've looked a little bit leggy, but I think there are questions there about their ability to convert dominance into into goals, uh, and that's what that's what cost them. In addition to, as James was saying, some pretty pathetic defending on both of the goals.
0: We'll get on to the, the especially pathetic defending in a second, but... That period, and you were mentioning the fact they've only scored two goals each, uh, both from the penalty spot. In those two games, 46 shots they've had, 21 on target. And both the keepers afterwards hailed as as, as having absolute blinders. Carl uh, johan uh, Jonsson in the Copenhagen game and uh, Bono, as you say, here. Is it coincidence or is it, as you say, that this front three, who while, you know, being really rather excellent in many ways, are not very good at actually shooting
2: I think one issue that United have in that part of the pitch is that is that none of their attacking players are real killers none of them are sort of proper old school goal scorers Um, I mean they're all fantastic footballers and there've been times when they've clicked since the restart when they've looked really impressive and and I think as a unit um, I don't think they're very far away from the finished article but I just I wonder, Marcus Rashford hasn't been the same player since football resumed. He's had the, the best season of his career, but he's he's looked off the pace for a while now. And when that's the case, I sort of wonder whether you need him and Anthony Martial in the team at the same time, given that they both operate in similar roles, they both play in a similar way. I wonder if you had a slightly more dependable, perhaps slightly more conventional striker in there. Um, you know, United might have a, a little bit extra. At, at the same time, I think I think misfortune... And the exploits of opposition goalkeepers does play a part as well because, as you say, you know, both the goalkeepers they've come up against uh, in these last two games have excelled um, and you know, the, the forwards who've spurned chances haven't done all that much wrong. But I, I, just, I wonder whether there is an issue there with having Martial and Rashford in the team, particularly when Rashford isn't really on his game.
0: Although you do have sides like, say, Man City just down the road who do perfectly well when playing without a recognised striker.
2: I think the thing that you get with teams like City is you you have um, a sophistication in their tactical approach from their coach that means that no matter which players are on the pitch, everyone knows their role and their attacking patterns are drilled into them on the training ground. And and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer doesn't approach things in quite the same way. Slightly more old school, he's happy to sort of let his players... Play with a bit more freedom, and I think that has been a factor in, in United, you know, finding the form that they found after the restart. I, I think there is, you know, there's there's enough intuition with those players that they are capable of scoring goals, um, but. You know, another issue is that, uh, as we said with it, you know, the substitutions, there isn't any depth in that United squad. Um, Solskjaer probably should have turned to his bench sooner. But when you look at the players he's bringing on, there aren't any obvious game changes there. And and that does make it difficult when the men in the starting 11 aren't doing the job because you've got no one else to back it up.
0: Mm. Uh, Duncan Alexander tweeting, Solskjaer not rating the substitution rule was the plot twist I didn't see coming.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I wondered if he was going to sub himself on at some stage. He seemed to be waiting for the uh, Solskjaer-Sheringham hour um, to to come. You know, judging by some of the comments under a piece I wrote for The Athletic today, I don't think United fans would take Romelu Lukaku back because apparently they're also obsessed with uh, his perceived inability to trap a ball in um, his first touch rather than the fact that he scored 31 goals uh, for Inter this season, including nine in a row in the Europa League. Um, so... Uh, you know, I probably just jinxed him and Inter by uh, by bringing that up right now. But I kind of agree um, uh, with with Tom in that United have uh, three very talented young strikers who are all kind of of a very similar type um, in, in in some respects. And I think that that lack of versatility, the, the the ability to kind of vary um, the attack in the way that, for example, you saw T- Sevier do on with very modest means tonight. Oh, let's. Uh, Let's take off a of Campos and bring on uh, Munir, or let's you know sort of bring on Luke de Jong, who's a very kind of, you know, uh, a striker with a very uh, unique set of skills, um, so to speak. Um, not that he really needed them to convert the winner tonight. Yeah, I think that is so- something that United perhaps should address and probably won't address because we all know that they are they are looking for Jaden Sancho this uh, this off season. What what, what off season there is of it. Mm.
0: Let's talk, then, about Sevilla's winner. Uh, Scenes afterwards with Lindelof uh, telling Fernandez that he was a son of a... and should take it up the... Well,
3: I mean, yeah, I... I I don't speak Portuguese, but I lip read that. Um, but at the same time, after watching the Nicholas and Elka documentary um, today on Netflix, where you know he essentially takes Lequipe to, to court because of, of of what he supposedly said at halftime of that France Mexico uh, World Cup game, um, you know, I'm 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 perhaps uh, reticent about drawing too many conclusions about what exactly uh, passed Lindelof's lips.
0: All to right. To then. Uh, what tonight. went past the rest of Lindelof, though, was the ball to <laughs> Luke de Jong. And it was one of the most remarkable things I think I've seen all, all season, actually, the way that the entire bat line switched off on that, Tom.
2: It's rare to see all four defenders in the same team all make a mistake for the same goal. Um, but that's what happened. I mean, you had Brandon Williams, who, um, you know, is is popular among United fans because he's a homegrown youngster who's obviously up for it and has got a bit of an edge to him. But I you know I think he's he's obviously still young, but he, you know, that there is an there's there's an impetuous quality to his football that, that has cost United at times when he's played. He doesn't track Jesus Navas who drifts into space behind him and puts the cross in. Both Harry Maguire, the world's most expensive defender, and Victor Lindelof uh, are drawn the wrong side of the near post. Uh, and then Aaron Wan Bissaka, who I thought was very poor, um, doesn't react to the fact that Luke de Jong has darted into the space behind Lindelof, and, and and de Jong sort of you know has has the freedom of the six yard box to turn the ball in. And I mean, United have improved defensively this season. If you look at the goals for column, the goals against column in the Premier League, you'd say that it's it's the former that's been a bigger issue for them rather than the latter. But I think when you look at the you look at the players um, in that that very well established first eleven. And, I, I, you know, the weaknesses are all in that back four. Um, I think the jury's out on pretty much all of them, to be honest. I think in the fullback areas in particular. Um, and so it was perhaps telling that their season should ultimately be finished by a goal that exposed the shortcomings of, um, of all of them.
0: You know what? We, we've gone and done it again. And we? We, we, we've spent most of the time talking about how United lost it. Let's love up Severe a little bit. Uh, you, you just mentioned uh, the marauding Navas. Who else caught your eye? Who, was, who were the heroes for the Sevillanos?
2: I thought Sergio Reguillon was very impressive. Left back for Sevilla. Um, got forward very well. Uh, set up uh, the first goal. Uh, Ever Benega, always a joy to watch. Um, mm. And Dion, bit, a, a bit of a figure of fun from his time at Newcastle. What was it? 14 games without a goal or something like that. But,
3: but came on and, and not took the goal very,
2: uh, very adroitly.
3: Yeah, no, I was impressed again with uh, Benega. I just think the, the number of times where uh, United were in and around um, Sevilla's penalty area and Sevilla came away with the ball and he just had the kind of patience and just wasn't phased by all the kind of red shirts around him and just helped them just play out um, and get out of trouble. He did that so many times and I think that kind of poise is just so important on, on occasions like this. Um, I think United's midfield played particularly well um, in, in, in comparison with, with just what Benega represented for them again tonight. And I think just to pick up on what Tom was saying about, uh, about everyone's favourite summer music genre reggae on. Um, yeah, I think he will move um, in the summer and not back to Real Madrid. I think that's again one of the really interesting things about what Madrid are doing um, this summer in that Hakimi had a really good uh, one or two-year spell on loan at Dortmund and they've chosen to cash in on him and sell him to Inter. They let Teo Hernandez go uh, last summer to AC Milan. He's probably been the best signing, if you like, in, in Serie A, um, certainly for that position. And now it looks like uh, uh represented by Kier uh will also um, have uh, have certainly a few offers in the Premier League this summer I think Napoli are also interested in him as well so Monchi was talking pre-game on Italian TV because he's uh, well versed in the uh, in that particular um, uh, Latin language and he was saying you know he just wanted to focus at the moment on this competition um, getting through the semi-final and then see what happens in the final and then they'll obviously make their decisions but it does seem like uh, Reguillon will be moving on um, next season and in the meantime
0: Julian Lopetegui continues his path back to greatness after the kind of twin debacle of uh, uh, getting fired by Spain on the eve of the World Cup and then getting binned by Real Madrid
3: too. Can you imagine if he wins the Europa League, Barcelona is still going through all these weird board meetings where they're like, "Ah, oh, what do we do? Uh, the only people we can appoint are someone who's got a background at Barcelona. Cumans turned us down. Let's go for Lopetegui. I mean... I don't get this, This, I mean, they obviously didn't do it with Setien, but this, this whole kind of like we have to have someone who, you know, I don't know, washed the kit one day or, you know, sort of worked in the canteen to coach us. It's just, it's
0: a bit You nuts. don't get it because you were never there, James. <laughs>
3: no, it's true and that's that's the thing. You have to get Barcelona uh, if, you, if you are to coach them. But yeah.
0: All righty. Well, Oh, mentioning Jaden Sancho, did you see his outrageous skills today in their friendly against Austria-Vienna, which they they won 11-2. Could you attempt to describe it, Tom, for anyone who hasn't as yet come across it?
2: I was trying to think whether there's a name for it. I'm not sure there is. Basically, it's um, a variation of knocking the ball past the defender on one side and running around the other side to get it. Basically, he's out on the right wing and he's faced up against the left back he kind of rolls the ball with the studs of his right foot behind him, and then flicks it uh, with his left heel to his right, the defender's left, and then scoops around the other side. And it looks very slick. It's, it's
0: the defender's face that makes it as well. Like, oh, I mean,
3: not to draw too much on Nicholas Anelkes's, uh documentary um, that, that I spent ninety minutes of my life watching just for the, the aerial shots of every city he's ever played a game in. Um, but, uh, there's one bit where he's taking one of his boys to, to training in Dubai and he's clearly unimpressed with what he's seen from young and Elka. Um, and as he's driving his Ferrari back to his, his high rise, um, he's like, you know, try something technical, try, try a skill in training for once. Okay. Because, you know, you train how you play. And so, you know, if, if, if you don't try these things in training, you're not going to try these, these things in games. Obviously, we're going to see that from Sancho in a sort of proper Bundesliga competitive game because he was trying them in a training session.
0: Maybe we'll see them at Old Trafford.
3: Well, Maybe, James. Maybe. The deadline's passed, but, you know, what do deadlines mean anymore? What do contracts mean anymore? What does anything mean anymore? But the, the, Those are important <laughs> questions.
0: After tonight's <laughs> game, are you expecting a flurry of, of Sancho to United headlines in the, in the back pages?
3: Well, I mean, there's nothing else to write about in the Premier League anymore, is there? Because, you know, unlike last year, there aren't two teams in the Europa League and there aren't two teams in the Champions League final. So um, I imagine that will be very much the focus of the uh, the coming week, given, as we'll get to, if you're knocked out of a competition, you're straight into pre-season. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Well, uh, loads to come still on today's Tony Football Show Summit Special, including our look forward to Monday night's semi-finalists. We find out who's going to be taking on Sevilla. We'll get on to some of the other topics then after this. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keeper's let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man
4: United have again conceded a late equaliser.
0: But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. Tees and
1: seeds apply. 18 plus. Org. This is the Totally Summer Special by the Totally Football Show. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
0: Tom, you speak French.
3: Uh, this is true. C'est vrai. <laughs> Thanks for that.
0: What was the reaction to getting deux sides into the Champions League uh, semi-finals?
2: Um, It was a great deal of pride, as you'd expect. Um, There was a degree of surprise. Uh, I think L'Equipe used the word crazy to to describe the scenario. Two French clubs in the Champions League semis for the first time ever. Um, But also, I think, a sense of vindication um, because... Uh, French football fans see all the same memes uh, and and jibes about the the French top flight that we do uh, mm. over here in the UK and and everywhere else, you know Farmers League and all the rest of it. And it was interesting that that was Kylian Mbappe's reaction uh, to tweet uh, derisively about about people who um, who use that particular uh, name for for Liga. Um, so I, there's been a lot of talk about about French football needing to sort of. Stand up for itself a little bit more. There were some quite interesting comments from Janinho, uh in an interview he gave today. That the Lyon sporting director, and he was saying basically, even people within French football, uh, the players, the coaches, the journalists, don't give the the league uh, enough credit. Um, you know, we we lack respect for Ligue. And he said we don't give it enough credit. We have a very good championship, but but people don't don't say it enough. Um, Jean Michel Aulas, uh, who never needs a second invitation to. Uh, Use uh, a positive result or even a negative result to, to get his name in the papers has, um, has responded to uh, Lyon and PSG getting to the, the last four of the Champions League by saying that it is uh, revenge for French football over the fact that, that France is. Uh, denied for automatic uh, entry spots to the Champions League, unlike England, Germany, Italy, and Spain, and saying that this is a sign that that should be changed um, and i think I think one of the positives for for French football is that it's it 's not just psg I think in the eyes of some, there will always be an asterisk beside what psg do because obviously they 're bankrolled by Qatar blah blah blah, but you know Lyon is a, a very differently run club, an extremely well run club uh, you know with a fantastic academy constantly pumping out young players and generally quite intelligent transfer dealings even if some of their more recent signings haven't all all been super successful so i think it's i think it's good to have both of them there uh, to show that it, it isn't just psg in france um, and you know there are there is more than one decent team in the country
0: if you say so tom there may not be a farmers league but these guys are outstanding in their field uh, James? <laughs> well <laughs>
3: One of the best memes that I saw in the afterglow of United's uh, elimination was um, a- adapting that scene from the Mitchell and Webb look uh, where you have them both as what Nazis on the Eastern Front. Are we the uh, bad guys? <laughs> yeah. It was adapted to say, are we the farmers now? <laughs> <Isn't> <laughs> the <Premier League? laughs> which was, which was uh, yeah, I think um, apt.
0: Yeah, very, very appropriate. But Ligue 1, uh, Tom, is actually back this Friday. Boy, that's crept up on us.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, um, obviously, France halted uh, or took the decision to to halt Ligue 1 back in April. uh, And and when play resumed in all of Europe's other major leagues, uh, France's players were, uh, you know, were all putting their feet up or just getting back into pre-season training. So, yeah, there's a a full set of fixtures um, this weekend, starting off on Friday not quite full uh, yes correct um, so PSG and Lyon's games have been postponed due to their involvement in the Champions League um, and there is now worryingly the threat that, that Marseille's game against Saint-Etienne on Friday night which was supposed to be the curtain raise of the whole season um, is going to end up being postponed because of uh, what, what seems to be a, a, an outbreak of Covid-19 cases at Marseille um, they've got four players who've tested positive um, and according to the uh, the Liga covid uh, COVID-19 protocols that emerged on Sunday, uh, four is the sort of lowest number at which um, uh, a team will be deemed unable to um, fulfil their fixtures. So if in the days leading up to a game a French club have three cases of COVID-19 within their squad, they'll be told, well, isolate those players and as long as no one else tests positive, the game can go ahead. If they have more than three, uh, then the game will be postponed. Um, and Marseille currently have four, so that would suggest we're looking at a postponement, which is pretty embarrassing for France because obviously they were the only one of Europe's five major leagues to um, curtail last season. Um, there's been lots of excitement at the fact that there are already spectators back in stadiums in France, so some of these games will be taking place in front of crowds of 5,000. Um, there's a. Um,
0: Probably not Monaco's, but yeah.
2: not Monaco's no this is true um there's there's also a rule that means that clubs are allowed to apply to their local authorities for special dispensation to stage games in front of even more fans than than 5,000 so in that respect everything seems to be advancing very quickly uh even more quickly than in other uh you know other European nations but as well as Marseille that there have been little outbreaks of COVID-19 at all sorts of different clubs uh Montpellier, Strasbourg, Nantes uh, and over the past couple of weeks uh, pre-season friendly fixtures between French clubs have been getting cancelled left, right and centre um, and there is a very real fear that in addition to this Marseille-Saint-Etienne game there might be other matches uh, that, that fall victim to these these little outbreaks um, and that what we're going to witness is not a triumphant return to action for Ligue 1 um, in front of uh, paying customers um, but a very sort of bitty piecemeal First weekend of the season, where there are games postponed and 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 players unavailable due to due to the illness. Um, and yeah, I think I think from a I mean, you know, obviously that, that there are um, very real and very serious health uh, issues. But from a PR perspective, I think if that Marseille Saint Etienne game is postponed, as it probably will be, it's you know, it's not a great look.
0: Wow, fingers crossed because uh, that's a pretty complicated situation and uh, one that I, I guess uh, more than one country could be facing quite soon. We'll keep an eye on that. In the meantime, in a second or two, we'll take a look at the other Europa League semi-final coming up Monday night. Inter taking on Shakhtar for a chance to take on Seville in the final.
1: You're listening to the Totally Summer Special by the Totally Football Show. Sponsored by Paddy Power.
0: We've seen every kind of drama in these uh, European knockout games in Germany and Lisbon. We've seen upsets, we've seen daring comebacks, we've seen extraordinary last-minute finales and maybe the odd tactical kind of game of chess. What do you think is going to happen Monday night in Dusseldorf? James?
3: Well, I think the pressure is on Inter. um, Just because of their history and tradition, I think the money that they spent... Uh, last summer and also during the winter and the fact that uh, Conte who usually ends every first season at a new club with a trophy has yet to win a trophy and this is the, the last opportunity to do that um, you know I thought they were very impressive um, against Leverkusen I haven't seen a, a striker um, dominate his his centre-back in the way that uh, Romelu Lukaku dominated Edmund Tapsoba. Uh, in that game for, for quite some time I thought that was very encouraging um, Inter do lose uh, a bit of uh, change up from the bench and Alexis Sanchez uh, was hurt in that game and is unlikely I think Conte said in his press conference today won't be fit um, to play so they're kind of again everything is all on the shoulders of Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez Lukaku's played practically every minute of every game um, so far this season and they know that Shakhtar are very uh, canny operators, an awkward team, I think one of the the things that they have have looked at and they're wary of is 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 just how good this side is, late in games, finding goals, but also going to the bench and people making the difference, which has been a theme of course tonight, but you know, you look in, in in recent matches where Connor has come on and set up another sub, Solomon. That was the case against Wolfsburg, against, against Basel as well. I think they had four different scorers and they brought on Tete, another one of their Brazilians who was really quick and set up Dodo for their, for, for their final goal in that game. So, yeah, that's something they, should, they, they, they need to be aware of. It's something that ultimately caught Atalanta cold in the group stages when they played them at San Siro, remember, and they were 1-0 up and they ended up losing that game in, what, the final five minutes. So, um, I think that's going to be something that will be very much on their minds as they prepare for this game.
0: Tom, Shakhtar, former winners of this competition 11 years ago, with a side featuring such uh, favourites as uh, Feningo and, and William actually, as well as the guy who's still uh, in nets for them, Andrei Piatov.
2: Yes, um, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Shakhtar because I was posted in Donetsk during Euro 2012, ah. so spent a bit of time there, got to know the city, and because I discovered while I was there that the city of Donetsk was founded by a Welshman. Um, ah. A nineteenth-century industrialist from Merthyr Tidville. Um, he's got a little statue in the city centre, and yeah, so yeah, Shakhtar. Well, um, sorry,
0: can I just can I just, just ask what what led to him founding a city in Ukraine? So he was
2: a very successful British uh, industrialist um, who established various uh, steelworks uh, in South Wales. Ended up moving to London um, and. Then uh, was enlisted by uh, the Russians to build this massive uh, steelworks in what is now modern day uh, Donetsk. Uh, and I think at some point it ended up being the biggest producer of iron in the entire Russian empire, which is quite the, uh, quite the feat. Um, I
3: mean, you would have thought he would have gone to metalist, really. I, I mean, yeah, did miss a trick with that one.
2: Um, and Donetsk was originally named after him. It was known as Hughes Kova or something. His um, name was Hugh. Uh, John Hughes.
0: Ah, right. But yeah. then they changed it when you know the political wind blew in a different direction to Donetsk.
2: Yes, that's correct.
0: All right, listener.
2: Um, so yeah, as James was saying, um, county operators score a lot of goals, also concede a lot of goals. Only one clean sheet in. There are 11 matches in Europe this season. And as ever with Shakhtar, it's all about the Brazilians. Uh, Junior Moraes, uh, centre-forward, 26 goals in all competitions this season, ably supported by Marlos and Tyson on either flank. Uh, and as, as James mentioned, worth keeping an eye out for Dodo. They're attacking right-back, Brazil under-20 international, linked with Bayern, scored the fourth goal against Basel uh, in the quarterfinals finals and, and proof that attacking Brazilian full-backs very much not an extinct
0: species nicely done tom wonder how you're going to work that in <laughs> and they look good they look good against wolfsburg uh, 5-1 aggregate going past them then breezing past basel sorry james
3: no the the venerable fox uh michael was on uh, sky italia today and he was giving the full debrief on uh, on Shakhtar saying that they you know, they haven't really changed over the last uh, 10 or 11 years um yeah the philosophy is still the same but he was absolutely raving about their midfielder Marcus Antonio this 19 uh, year old um the latest find from the uh the Shakhtar scouting network out in the out there in Brazil um you know it's just someone who who seems to be a complete midfield player um so yeah, I'm already, I've already penciled that into watch. He plays on the right-hand side, so he'll be going up against uh, Barella, who's also had a very good couple of weeks. For Inter's midfield um, in the Europa League, uh, Lukaku said he should have been given the man of the match after the Leverkusen game instead of, uh, of himself. So yeah, Marcus Antonio, I want to, uh, to look out for, even though Lucescu said they won't be selling him for another five years. That should be a great game, as, as tonight was. I think Rory Smith, last night's guest, wrote a very good uh, article about uh, this being uh, the future of the Europa League. This is what it should look like. This is what they should do every year um, because it, it, uh, it brings more interest. It brings more jeopardy. And I kind of wholeheartedly agree with him.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people do. Whether or not UEFA will concur is another matter. But, uh, of course, there's also the Europa Conference uh, yeah, which I mean,
3: again, when they workshopped that name, I, I did, did, did. Did no one basically say <laughs> that is non-league football? It has been what non-league football was branded for for decades and decades in in, in the UK. I mean, yeah, I jazz it up, UEFA. Come on, mm. fabulous! Well,
0: Inter against Shakhtar is coming up eight uh, o'clock UK time uh, on Monday evening. Uh, so make sure you tune in for that uh, very shortly. You won't believe what our two pundits are ready to tell you about this summer's hot transfer story. But first, here's Lee Price from Paddy Power.
4: Thank you and hello. Monday is the new Thursday as we get the final semi-final of the month. And this one, we think, should be the easiest of the lot to call. Yeah, right. Manchester United B, otherwise known as Inter, are the heavy favourites here. They're priced at 8-11 to win this game and odds on to score at least twice. Yikes! While Shakhtar are seven to two to win, and still a pretty lengthy eleven to four just to force extra time with a draw after ninety minutes, Romelu Lukaku clearly is rated as the most likely player on the pitch to score. We go odds on that he writes his name on the score sheet during the game, although not literally. But could you really rule out anything with him? For the Ukrainians, we think their hopes rest on Brazil-born striker Moraes, adding to his four goals in tournament this season. It's fifteen to eight he scores. I kind of hope he does, because that would certainly liven things up.
0: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate. At the time of recording, it's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, now, uh, a lot of people tweeting a lot of things about Messi, because it's a name that always gets people clicking on the links. We, we for a while, have been following various reports in Italy about Inter's interest in him, and of course, who wouldn't be interested, but also the interest of Inter's incredibly wealthy backer, Suning, in making Messi their figurehead for a kind of European launch of their various products. The fact that Messi and his father have both bought property this year in Milan, in central Milan, and the current problems at Barcelona all adding a little bit of momentum to what still seems a pretty improbable story, but today, uh, Sunday that is, a lot of reports that Messi has said now to Barcelona actually officially told them that he, he wants to do one. Do you put any stock in those stories? And if you do, where do you think he might go? <laughs>
3: the journalist who, who broke the story also broke the Neymar is leaving Barcelona to go to Paris Saint-Germain. So, um... We all have our sources um i would say that the likelihood of messi staying at barcelona is still higher than uh, than him leaving um, just because we live in a world that has been impacted by a pandemic which has greatly a depressed club liquidity and transfer values and makes it very difficult for even teams that would have the capability to sign a player like messi and pay him what the 50 million euro a year after tax that he is paid um yeah i think that is is even more challenging now than it was say a year ago as for what you were saying about inter james of course you do know that Lionel messi has uh, has italian background his his ancestors left Reconati just outside ancona um to go to uh, to to argentina and set up set up in rosario all those years ago it does mean that the messis have um, dual citizenship, I think Italian passports, which means that you know you can you can essentially uh, apply to reside, apply for residency in in Italy, which is what uh, I believe his father has done, according to these reports. Um, of course, um, Italy has in the last what eighteen months, two years, introduced uh, new tax laws, um, which uh, essentially tax breaks for people coming back um, to to Italy. Uh, normally, people who have left. To go and work elsewhere, and there's been a bit of a brain drain. This is about getting talent back, um, and you know, apparently they've brought they bought prime real estate very close to Inter's offices in the very kind of regenerated new part of of uh, of Milan uh, near near Porta Garibaldi. However, the motives for them doing that, I think, are, are purely are purely financial, rather than a kind of indicator that some move is uh, is on the cards. Um, just because, as I said, even for a club like Inter, which has an owner with with great wealth, they still work in financial fair play within those parameters they 've only just what in the last two years come out of the settlement agreement, which was a real tough thing for them to get out of, so I still just anticipate it being very difficult for you know, even the hypothetical deal to be done right. so.
0: Frustrating for Leo because uh, his dream—he'd love to play for Antonio Conte. It's just. A natural <laughs> and Conte would love
3: to. Yeah, Conte would love to have uh, him. Um, yeah. So,
0: alrighty, Tom. Yeah, I mean,
2: it, it's it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I think the sort of the, the purest in me wants Messi to stay at Barcelona, wants Barcelona to get their act together, wants Messi to win another Champions League there, retire at the age of forty, having set. You know a whole bunch of records that will never ever be broken. But then part of you, the, the thought of seeing Messi in another shirt—obviously we've seen him play for Argentina um, with really limited success. Um, the thought of seeing him play in another shirt is fascinating. Um, and Stoke well, to exactly, finally prove you know, all those naysayers wrong. yeah. Exactly. get him out of the championship. <laughs> don't go to a big club. Don't go to PSG. Uh, you know, don't go to Man City. Don't take the obvious route. You've got nothing left to prove in the game. Go somewhere completely random, uh, and 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 you know genuinely prove that you can do it somewhere else. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, we've been here before with Messi. Every now and again, these reports come out, and we're all told uh, that it's very serious this time. That he's definitely had enough, and uh, and you know, with within a few weeks or a few months, he signed a new deal or he's got the the change behind the scenes that he was pushing for. I mean, it, clearly Barcelona are at their their lowest ebb since Messi broke into the first team so you can understand why he is um why he is upset um and and may be seriously considering his future um but yeah i think the suspicion is that this this will get resolved we know that Setien has gone there's talk of the pre- presidential election being brought forward um so things are already starting to to move uh, mm. so yeah i i would be very surprised if we saw uh, Lionel Messi trotting out in the red and white of Stoke next season. But, right, you but watch say this space.
0: Right. Uh, and, and and in the meantime, I, I think it's possible that we've been slightly dazzled by the, the dimensions of that defeat that they had the other day against Bayern. It was huge. They were a total mess as the game wore on. But there's a squad there that isn't a total disaster. if If they do get a decent manager in... They're not kind of beyond the realms of, of, of saving in, in, in short term and for for say next season. I think you could make a competitive team out of them.
2: It's a squad that needs a lot of work. It's a mm. squad that's very dependent on um Players who are the, the wrong side of not just the wrong side of thirty, but the wrong side of 32, 33, Some of them, um, obviously, it, you know that there are there are younger players. I think this the suggestion it might be Ronald Koeman who comes in to replace Seti and maybe even just for a year as a sort of interim appointment would be interesting. Um, sort of reviving the the Dutch connection at, at Barcelona. I, I think Frankie De Jong is 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 going to be a key figure in this. They obviously haven't got the best out of him. Since he arrived, he's been playing second fiddle to, to Busquets. Um, and I think, uh, I suspect that Barcelona's future, if they are going to build it around him, will involve him sort of being given uh, control of the midfield and being given responsibility of like running the team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- there is th- there is a lot of work to be done um, and it will be fascinating to see whoever it is who comes in after Seti and how quickly they can they can turn things around and you know get things moving in the right direction again.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, won't be that long before the Spanish season is back up and running as well. So they better act quickly. It's going to be fascinating to see who takes that job. In the meantime, that wraps it up for today's Totally Football Show. Many, many thanks to Tom Williams and James Horncastle for being with us today. If you listen to this in time, and it's still before 11 o'clock on a Monday morning, you can see James and I cavorting together in the Club 2020 daily studio you can see our lips move while we do the talking. Fantastic. That's on BT Sport. We'll see you on Tuesday morning when we round up the second Europa League semi final. Many thanks then to everyone involved, especially
1: you, listener. And for now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network.